So, welcome back once again, Rohit, uh, third time in a row. In today's podcast, before we get into it, just giving you a quick brief on what will be covered. Rohit and I are going to quickly break down the pulp, break down the news, what's been going on, an update on the last two breaking down the pulp. Are you checking out your mustache? Is that what you're doing right now? I'm just stretching out my mouth. Oh, okay. You're stretching your mouth? Yeah, I'm just getting ready to talk. I think Rohit's about to spit some fire. I think that's what's about to happen. <laughs> Anyways, um, before we get into it, again, a quick brief. Rohit and I are going to break down that pulp, break down the news, and then we're going to talk to Marina Emran, who works with media outlets such as BuzzFeed News and Muslim. And again, another great conversation, Rohit. So it was it was, it was, was quite good. But oh, that's good to hear. How are you doing, by the way? How is life? Where are you at this well, moment? Right, as of at the moment, I'm at my house. This is your house. That background is your house. Yeah, well, this is a secret chamber that uh, no one knew that I. For built. those of you listening to this, Ro is right now in some kind of AI chamber. Yeah, those brains right there. You know, we're using them for uh, brain power. Those brains are being used <laughs> for brain power. Thank you, Rohit. Thank you so much for that clarification. Um, okay. uh, no, uh, but no, I, I've been doing well. Uh, you know, it's the usual. A big shout out to Phineas and Ferb, by the way. I've been re-watching some episodes. Uh, have you seen that show, Rohit? Did you grow up watching it I like I did? Watch, I used to watch it a while back. Man. Dude, I so I, I loved it growing up. Like, we were, I think you and I were its first audience because we were seven when that show came out. And yeah, there's a lot of shows that come back for nostalgia. Some aren't living up as they used to. They're not as good mm-hmm. as they used to, but this show somehow is better. It's some great, great stuff. Like genuinely, a lot of and a lot of the humor actually just just used to go over our heads. But overall, it's a great show worth worth checking out. Looking back at it at the age of twenty, I would say so. It is a show drenched in satire, and I appreciate it. There's a lot of it. There's a lot of this. What you might have thought were innocuous jokes as a child. There's actually a lot of like. Yeah, adult humor. And there's there's some like jokes I didn't think, or I would I didn't understand how they got away with it, but they did. <laughs> so again, shout out to Phineas and Ferb and the co-creators of that show. You truly made a masterpiece. Anyways, Rohit, do you want to kick us off with breaking down this pulp? Again, we're gonna make this super quick. We're just gonna give some updates on what's been going on in the past couple of weeks in terms of what we had discussed those first two or previous two episodes. So, Rohit, once again, take us away. Well, the Surx Act, the last time we had a Breaking Down the Pulp uh, episode where we talked about the Surx Act, which is essentially the CARES Act for transportation services. And at that moment I don't know if that's like how we... In some way. Yeah, but I don't know if that's like the direct parallel, though. Definitely not, yeah. Yeah. So definitely it's not direct parallel, but... Both provide economic assistance, uh, yeah, you know, financial assistance. Last time we talked was about two weeks ago, right? About two weeks ago, yes. They they added a lot. They added in a lot of people. The latest edition was around uh, four days ago on uh, September seventeenth. Mm-hmm. So as far as Senate goes, is that we just need six more to uh, get the majority. The bill is definitely on its way to uh, get some traction. The only mm-hmm. thing I would be concerned about is that. The election season's coming around, so uh, right. I feel like a lot of the senators and the House people will, uh, you know, contrib- be focused on that more than you know, the search side. Mm-hmm. But looking at how the support's been for the past two weeks, I think I'll probably give it a month before it gets all the people it needs. You say so? 
I think so. I'm trying to be optimistic. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm also I think that's <laughs> optimism. Some some people might say that just possible, us possibly being naive because there's just a whole different political area, I guess, that we haven't tapped into. Like the minute something becomes popular, it also becomes political. Uh, so Definitely. we're yet to see. But once again, I'll be linking down the resources for this in the description of the YouTube channel. So please go check it out. Show your support talk about it and then there's also been the bipartisan bipartisan support has been it hasn't been exactly like 50 50 but it's been more like a 60 40 65 35 type. okay so it's not completely 50 50 but they're at the very least 60 democrat right 40 hmm? 60 democrat. democrat okay okay yeah, it's mostly democrat but there's also like a sizable amount of uh, republicans right and if you want again a refresher on what that act was or you weren't able to view it, go to our previous podcast, and we went more in depth on the bill. But in terms of updates for the COVID-19 vaccine, uh, some another thing that we had briefly discussed in one of the breaking down the pulps, I was trying to go through the back and forth between the president, Robert Redfield, the president, Fauci, and it's like reading straight out of a gossip journal. It's just that he said, and then the other person said, but then he said. He said this. Yeah. So he said that. Going directly to the source in terms of updates of where again vaccines are, the top contenders are Moderna and Pfizer. Currently, Moderna said it's on track to produce 20 million doses of its experimental coronavirus vaccine by the end of the year. The drug maker is maintaining its goal of readying 500 million to 1 billion doses in 2021 and has enrolled tw- about 25,000 participants out of the planned 30,000 in its late-stage study as of Wednesday. So this article is from CNBC, published Friday. Yeah, so quite quite recent. And then in terms of Pfizer, and this is directly from their website, which then linked us to Business Wire, uh, enrollment in the trial has been pre- proceeding as planned, and the company expects to reach its initial target of up to 30,000 participants next week. The proposed expansion would allow the companies to further increase their trial population diversity, include adolescents as young as 16 years old of age, and people with chronic, stable HIV, hepatitis C, or hepatitis B infection, as well as provide additional safety and efficacy data. So that's where, again, everything stands in terms of the vaccine and its progress as far as the vaccines it looks like most of them are entering the stage four which is usually like the large-scale testing so they test like over thousands of people and as you said earlier they had about thirty thousand participants sign up for the experimental vaccine so i think it depends on how these results what the results are like for the stage four from stage four and then mm. uh, if they're good yeah i think by fall 2021 I definitely see like a large part of the population being uh, inoculated or vaccinated, as we could say. Yeah. As so, far as the comments go about that, whether it's long or not, my, uh, I, I would trust this. the epidemiologist right. more and, than the president. And if case. you're very much lost in the back and forth that goes between the president and the public health official, of course, we tend to side with the public health official as you should in a public health crisis. Um, Let's go directly to the reportings of 
the vaccine trials and see where things are standing with them, and then you'll have a better gauge of all of this, just in case you're getting the lost of sauce, lost in the sauce, all this back and forth between um, Fauci, Redfield, and the president. So, yeah. yeah, again, keeping this quick, just giving a quick update on where things stand on what we discussed in the past two episodes. If you want more of an in-depth discussion on this, the CERTS Act and also COVID-19 and and where it's um, how it's also affecting universities, go ahead, check out the previous two episodes. Any resources that we have on this will be linking in the description of the YouTube channel or also my link tree. So, yeah, any any parting words, Rohit, before we we get to the next part? Parting words to the next part. Yes. Any parting words, yes. Well, the year is coming to an end, but there's still three more months, so you never know what's going to happen. So stay safe, ride it out till the end of the year, and hopefully we can start off 2021 on a better footing. Nah. That's about it. <laughs> also, um, whenever you're microwaving mac and cheese be careful uh, be careful because even if it says 330 and put in the water at the line of the cup it can burn and smoke up your entire kitchen even if you followed the guidelines so just just an fyi also explaining why i'm a little low energy because the smoke is officially now giving me a headache um (laughs) but i hope you enjoyed this i hope you all enjoyed this and i hope you guys check out Phineas and ferb again we're not sponsored but definitely check it out. So, this was check something. that show out. What? Check the bill out. Check out the show. Check out the bill. <laughs> uh, you know, you can track. You can actually track it. You just go to Congress. You just search up the search act tracker. You'll find the trackers for the bill. Yeah, I'll be linking it also. You can do anything that you can. Go support it. All right. Well, here is Marina, my next guest. I was actually looking through your portfolio. Your online portfolio. Yeah. And I saw that, um, well, I knew that you were a pretty great photographer, but I saw that you were posing with like four different cameras. Are are those all like yours? Like they're like high utility cameras. They are? So I have a 70 Mark one, a 70 Mm. Mark two, and I bought those. Well, I bought one off of my mentor and he just gave me the second one too. And my mentor's name is Mr. Roman Rama, and he's a photographer based in Galveston, but I met him through a bridal shoot like three years ago. And he's so sweet. He taught me everything I know. And from there, I also have a like smaller DSLR that I started with. So this Mm -hmm. was back in 2018 when I knew that I wanted to start a photography business. It's a Canon Rebel. And then I also have a what is it Polaroid camera and I also have a tiny point and shoot Canon camera and that's what started my photography business that's when I knew that I wanted to do photography and then I have a couple other like tinier cameras but that's about it that's as far as like my range goes right and do you use all of them for different styles so right now my photography business isn't so active but mm-hmm. whenever I am shooting full-time I technically Technically, yes and no. I shoot mainly with my 70 Mark II, and that's my favorite one. I've been shooting sports photography, portrait photography with it. The 70 Mark I is more of a backup. That one's really, like, janky. It's it's all broken, but right. it gets the job done. And then mm-hmm. my Canon Rebel, I just use that for back-end things. I don't really... 
I don't use it as often because it's not such a great camera. And then my other more recreational cameras, I just use those for fun. So the Polaroid and the, I also have these um, disposable cameras that I travel with. So whenever I go on a trip, I just snap some photos with the disposable and I put them in a scrapbook. So that's fun. Nice. Yeah. I, there's something different about actually holding a photograph in your hand. And I haven't, yeah. I haven't done that in like a long time, at least for like my latest pictures, because um, I'm a little bit into photography also, probably don't know as much as you do, but uh, <laughs> I am definitely into it. And but yeah, again, like I was going through your portfolio, I saw you're into like various things. I saw you're into design, photography, writing, videography, podcasts. Yes. Um, but out of all these art forms, which one was the first one that you would say served as a catalyst for everything that then followed? Mm, definitely. So news writing was what I initially got into. So when I first started high school, I didn't know what I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And my freshman year, I got the course selection sheet before my freshman year, I got a course selection sheet and it listed off a class for journalism. And I was like, right. eh, okay, maybe I'll try it. Mm -hmm. And the first day I walked into class, I loved the energy of the teacher. Just the class was so great. Her name was Katie Moreno. And on the first day of class after it ended, I loved the journalism class so much. I told her, I'm going to be on the school's newspaper. And she said, let's do it. So I applied, I got in and I wrote my first piece that got published in a magazine for the school. And it was the worst injuries of the Olympics. And it was the most random thing, but I got to design the whole page. I got to put it together and it was so much fun. So it started with writing mm -hmm. and then design and then photography. I hated photography up until my sophomore year of high school. And then I picked it up because of soccer. Right. And then after photography, it was more of the digital content creation. And that's what I do now. So. Mm -hmm. And then what would you say is a common thread for all of these areas or a reason for pursuing not just one specific thing? Because again, looking through your portfolio and also I, I have a portfolio that doesn't just prop one specific area. Um, what would you say was a common thread for all these various things that you're involved in? So in the journalism field, I believe that it's really important to be well-rounded with mm -hmm. your skill set. And I still have skills that I'm lacking, like videography, I suck at it, but that's just because I don't have a stable hand. But I think the reason why I love it so much is because I'm not very artsy in real life, but when it comes to digital content creation, it can take on a variety of different things, such as writing, such as mm -hmm. photography, digital arts through Photoshop, and also just video making. And so, I think a common thread between it is that I'm able to express myself clearly because I'm the untypical brown child that decided I'm not going to do STEM. I'm going to do something super unconventional and make my parents question why they ever raised me. <laughs> but they've been super supportive. Right. Thank they've been super supportive, but I know it confused my parents at first. Why would you want to pursue that? Like journalism is dying. But in this age, journalism has taken a very different name. Mm -hmm. So knowing all these skill sets, knowing these skill set that I have is very important. But also, it's just for creative, creative freedom. You know, I'm able yeah. to help out not only myself but for my friends. You know, through resume design, and we sit down together, do goal, 
whatever we we set out mm -hmm. our goals for the month the year and i've only been able to fr find friends like that in the journalism field but also I think why I really enjoy doing it is because when you know that you can do digital content work, you'll have a job forever, regardless of if it's in journalism or right. if it's designing print or whatever you want to do in the future. It's just a very green industry right now. So it's growing. And the more I learn now, the better it'll be for the future. Right, right. And would you say that that was what led you into journalism because you saw that area as a multifaceted area? At first, no, I did not mm -hmm. see journalism as very multifaceted. I saw it only broadcast or print. And mm -hmm. I considered broadcast for a while because in elementary school, I always wanted to be a weather lady. That was my dream. And then I realized I suck at science. That's not gonna happen. So then my last point to go to was print mm -hmm. and I hated it at first and then I grew to love it and that's all I ever saw journalism as and people just kept telling me it's dying why do you want to pursue it mm -hmm. but over time I learned that it's not actually dying you just need to hone new skills in order to keep it alive right, right. and would you say that maybe it was the persistence in particular fields for example you said you weren't a fan of photography at first. You weren't a fan of certain areas. Um, what about it did you, like, eventually did you come to love these particular areas? I think it was the aspect of social networking and also making mm -hmm. friends. So I'm a very extroverted person and I never realized how many friends could come about doing such a field or pursuing such a field until I actually did it. And the reason why I got into photography was so weird. I didn't like photography because it was tedious. You have to know all the controls. You mm -hmm. have to have a stable hand. Yeah. And it wasn't because I took photos that I liked. It was because somebody on the soccer team said, hey, your photos actually look really good. You should come back. And I said, what, really? And so I think it was the encouragement from others that, hey, you have you have potential, just you know, go for it, do it. And so right. it was really the encouragement that I was getting from others that allowed me to see what skills that I, I did have. And over time I realized I, maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe, you know, if I keep doing it and get better at it, then I can put something out into the world that everybody can enjoy but also something that's informational and tells a story. So I love mm -hmm. learning about the world. Ever since I was five, I remember I would sit in the car asking my dad all these questions about the world. And so I find my creative freedom and also storytell things that I learned. Right. So. so you talk about all these, again, areas that you're involved in. Um, and this, again, it's not just specific to one thing. It's a very, it seems like a very multidisciplinary background. And you talk about encouragement, encouragement, and people, um, like you know, telling you that, you know, these are things that you can all you can pursue. Um, would you say that an environment was a factor into where you eventually got to? So the environment definitely made an impact on the career choice that I made because in high school the press room was really different from anywhere in the school, and mm -hmm. also just. It was different than any other interactions that I was having in the day because we were all cohesively working together to make one big end product. And teamwork 
bonding, stuff like that, that's where I learned it. And the interactions that I had in that room were really vital in who I became as a person, but also because that was the only place where I, I saw that I could do what I'm doing. I didn't have that stuff at home. I didn't have that anywhere else. And in the press room, we had the computer programs to make the magazine happen. We had all the cameras, the equipment. So that's kind of where I guess it was a holding place for all of my memories, but also because I was able to make all those memories in that room. And so right. even in college, you know, right now I'm in such such a weird spot at home. I just feel like I could work better if I were in a press room or in a journalism building than at home. Mm -hmm. So environment definitely makes an impact. And I had to make like a little makeshift recording area for myself here in this corner that I'm talking to you in. So it's just like, the environment just feels really off right now and I don't like it, but I know in the past it's it's been a really big factor in how good my work is. Mm -hmm. It seems like then once you got to college, you began further honing in your craft. So now you're working with media outlets such as BuzzFeed, Muslim. Um, what was the overall trajectory to get there to begin working with these various media outlets? So when I first entered college, I was really sad because I was moving away from home and change is something that I cannot handle well. I don't know what it is about myself. I just really mm -hmm. like holding on to my past, but I've learned that change is good. So piece of advice, change is yeah. really good. And my before my freshman year in college, I actually took some courses to get ahead. And my first semester of freshman year was kind of in my eyes, I really regret not doing more because I only had 12 credit hours. And in most of my time, I was crying because I was sad. Yeah. But yeah. Over time, I started getting connected with certain people in my school. So I attend Arizona State University's Cronkite School and I study journalism and mass communications with an emphasis in public relations and a minor in digital audiences. Okay. But by, by the way, to have a school named after Walter Cronkite, that's that's pretty, pretty cool. Not gonna lie. I know, and it's one of the best journalism schools in the mm -hmm. nation. So the fact that I found myself there was really interesting because I never really saw myself going out of state and then that opportunity fell into my lap. So I took it right away. And just my first semester was really bad. That That's all I'm gonna say. Like I mm -hmm. regret it to my core. What, would you say that it was partly because you missed home and that played a factor in it? Mm -hmm. So okay. environment change, you know, right. at first I didn't know that I needed my own place, but all I ever knew was home. Mm -hmm. So of course that took a really big hit on me emotionally because I was away from my family. I'd, I'd never known how to be independent and just live out in the world because anything you do has to be done for yourself. I'm sorry. It's true. Your parents can only hold your hand so far and your mentors right. only hold your hand so far. So for me, it was more of, again, the social networking aspect. The reason why I ended up at the Cronkite school was because in high school, our magazine won an award my senior year. And around that same time, I actually got rejected from University of Houston because of my GPA and it not lining up with my SAT score. So I, I was very disappointed. And I went on this trip really sad as well in 2018. Mm -hmm. I went to Chicago and I met a random person, a recruiter for the Cronkite School. And out of six people in that group that I was with, she saw me and she talked to me and she said, you look cool. Do you want to go to BuzzFeed? And I was like, 
huh? Who are you? You're offering me a trip to BuzzFeed, what? And she's like, just the way that you're talking, like you're just so different. And I said, I hope that's in a good way. <laughs> Alexis Trujillo, and I owe my entire career to her because she was legit. She took me on a trip to BuzzFeed LA in January of 2019, and I met the social media director. Her name is Macy Timponi. And I watched her on YouTube growing up. So it was surreal. Oh, wow. And I actually took a tiny little gift for her from my travels. And mm. I was like, Macy, I got you something. Were you nervous? Like it. I was so nervous. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. And she's like, oh, you're so sweet. You're so sweet. You're so cute. I, okay. I, I thought she'd be like, who is this random person? Like just handing me a, a, a present. What? <laughs> it was a whole recruiting trip. Like Cronkite premeditated this entire thing. Right, right. But, they forced us to go talk to these mm -hmm. people. And so I took a gift because that was the only way I knew how to like approach her. And so she was like, you're so sweet. You're so cute. Yes. Oh my gosh, we should be friends. And I was like, yes. <laughs> so I kept my contact with her after that trip. And I even yeah. wrote an article about it to publish in the press. So that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. But once I made that connection there, I like planted my seed at BuzzFeed and it okay. came back all around. So through my fall semester, I was devastated. And into the new year, I kind of manifested like a new life for me. I said, you know what, I need to stop being sad. This isn't working out for me. I need to learn to love what I have. And so right. I went back to Arizona after winter break. And I started a new internship at a PR company in Scottsdale, Arizona. And it was just for a social media, you know, director, position like you just help the social media director and you just help with local PR so that's kind of where I got my foot in the door for a fresh start in 2020 and then also Macy and I kept contact and she reached out to me one day and said hey so BuzzFeed News wants to do this thing where they onboard young teenagers to run our TikTok page and just make videos for it, you'd be a great candidate because of your personality. And I said, okay, I don't know how to use TikTok. I don't know how to use it. And I thought I had my maturity card, but the day she said that, I was like, I'm gonna just need to get out of my thick skull and just do it, you know, download mm -hmm. TikTok and apply to this thing. I applied to it. And because of that, it wasn't really because of my contact with her. I think it was more of, the fact that she thought I was BuzzFeed worthy, that mm -hmm. I began to believe that I was maybe BuzzFeed worthy. So I went ahead, applied and I got in like six months later, it was a whole process. But right. the way that you get your foot in the door with any national company is going for it. And right. you're never going to know your potential unless you put yourself out there and also just talk to people. You never know, especially in journalism school, you never know who's going to be the next big star or the next big broadcasting uh, anchor, or you never know who's going to be published in Vice. You know, you just don't know. So that's why anyone you make friends with, you want to keep close, but also realize that these are professional relationships that you're going to use in the future. So any person that's put into your life now, just analyze, are they good for you or are they going to hurt you? And yeah. secondly, in the professional realm, Friendships are sometimes made through pro friendships are made through professional reasons sometimes. So mm -hmm. that was a big thing for me, like creating that professional relationship, but also, you know, actually manifesting what I wanted to do all my life through the power of one connections and two, just being nice 
you know, not everything is about you. It's Mm -hmm. about everyone else around you too. So that was one thing about Buzzfeed that really just, it helped me out. And then Muslim just came out of nowhere. I applied, they liked my work and then I've started working for them since. And I think through Muslim and Buzzfeed, I've been able to make a name and a brand for myself. So Mm. yeah. Yeah. And you had previously talked about having that hesitancy for getting out of Texas, right? Going to what you would what you could describe as a, as a completely different world, different area, different environment. Um, then what eventually made you make that jump to decide, you know what, I'm going to get go out of state, I'm going to go to school to ASU? So it was kind of like time. There was a lot of pressure in that moment because, again, I applied to schools really late and well actually that's a lie i didn't even apply to any schools outside of uh so i was like i my entire plan in high school was stay local i'm gonna stay Mm -hmm. home all four years of college i'm gonna make a great bond with my parents that's it that's i'm gonna be a good brown kid Uh -uh. i applied to uh i got rejected within two weeks i was so devastated. I cried at school for a whole day. I was like, nobody gets rejected from UH. Why me? You know, but God had a plan. He was like, nope, Marina is destined for better things than UH. And I agree. I really was. And I just didn't see it then. But just, I don't know. Environment changes are so crazy. And just what, what kind of like prompted me, I guess, was after that BuzzFeed trip, I realized I didn't even apply to ASU. I didn't even know ASU existed before this trip. But if ASU could do this for me now, not being a student, who knows what may come out of this? You know, it's possible I might end up somewhere even bigger. So I just went ahead and I said, without risk is no reward. So you just got to do it. No matter how much you hate the change, how many people you have to meet, how many, you know, just lifestyle things are going to be different you just have to make that jump and you just have to have full faith in yourself that you're going to make it work and more than 90 percent of the time it works out in my opinion right i no, i i i do believe that if you go into doing something passion driven and and mm-hmm. um at the, and you can i think also admit this from the school that we are both from the high school that we're both from uh, very academically driven, um, mm-hmm. and to a point where it can be cut, it could have been cutthroat sometimes. Like, I think the the way I kind of administered my, I guess, quote unquote, high school career um, was it would it would be based on what I wanted to do, right? And statistically, again, if you look at the math, there should be possibly little reason why I got into UT, right? Like. Statistic, like at that time it was top 7%, you're not top 7% yeah. then um, somewhere else, right? right? So it was one of those things where I was like, my mom made me apply to UT. She's like, you never know. Like if you're not t- like top 7%, big deal, just apply. Yeah. And I think it was one of those moments where the passion showed mm-hmm. and from the work that I had done those past three, four years in high school. And I think that goes to show that at least what I'm hoping at least is that things aren't just driven purely by numbers, stats, just to get to an end goal. And then 
once you're there, you're like, well, shit, what am I doing here? Right? Mm -hmm. For Um, sure. Numbers should not define a person. I think especially going to Seven Lakes, that's all that was ever drilled in my head. Numbers define you. Numbers define you. What's your rank? What's your GPA? And, and the thing was, they would post posters where they said numbers don't define you. But you looked at the posters and you're like, that's bullshit, right? For real? I was so upset. I was like, damn, like, I'm really not ever going to make it out there, am I? Like, numbers really do define people, I guess. But now in college that's out of sight out of mind like i don't even think about it you know Mm -hmm. so i don't know seven lakes was kind of like lying to us or something i don't know but what what, what would you say then is the main culture difference between that that specific high school that we went to and then where you are right now so uh growing up not gonna lie was not the most book smart kid i'm not very smart at all i suck at math and at seven lakes all of my friends were asian okay so of course they're all super smart and i'm asian too but not i guess as asian as them where you know i just did not enjoy school i enjoyed art you know and so i needed to go to a place where it was more artsy and more culture-y than it was book smartsy you know Mm -hmm. and the best way i can put it is seven lakes is on like seven lakes has standard okay we're all preppy kids and we have that stereotype because it is so true seven Mm -hmm. lakes is a very preppy school and where i'm at now at arizona state university it's a very arts oriented school they really focus in on professional careers and the arts and the entertainment industry mm-hmm. and you know just like texas we have rival schools a m and ut there are also rival schools in arizona and the two main ones are arizona state university and the university of arizona and i have friends at both so all of my friends at arizona state university are you know journalism majors and you know theater arts majors and all that cool stuff and then at the University of Arizona, they're all very engineer, medical, biomedical engineering, stuff like that, you know? So Mm -hmm. every university has its own culture, what they're good at, and you just need to find the best fit for yourself where you feel most comfortable. And I didn't know that Arizona State ever existed. Again, I never knew it existed until I went to Chicago for that trip. Mm -hmm. But once I found out that, you know, they're they're like-minded individuals like me at this school it might be a good fit i just had to go for it and then i found my people so i couldn't at seven lakes i never really found my place except for in that press room Mm -hmm. so that could show you like the cronkite school is a big press room basically right and so i'm thriving over there you know but in high school i didn't find anybody like me so it was really hard for me to even make friends that Mm -hmm. were like me you know? Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I agree too, and I, I'm, I think I'm totally there with, with you on that. Is in, in <laughs> at least in Seven Lakes, I think, with with my friends group, it was a little bit also diverse in in their backgrounds and like what they were what they were doing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think at some points, and this is something that a lot of high school students could also go through, is that I never felt like there's an ability for me to truly fit in. Um, because there was either some kind of drama going on or there was other crap, right? So, so that, that was a little bit 
that was a little bit difficult because also, like you said, it is preppy. And it's one of those scenarios where, like, again, you have the association Seven Lakes, Seven Snakes, right? And Which is mm-hmm. weird, by the way, because my roommate's from Dallas and he knows of that, too. What? So, yeah. No way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... And, and and part of you like part of me is like if everybody just thinks everyone's a snake, is it just us? Like, like like what is the what is the deal? Um, but mm-hmm. like, point being is I think with that school we were taught to think within a certain set of standards, and maybe this is just that school, or maybe it's education in general in America. You don't know. I I don't think you're any less Asian than another just because your specific mindset is geared towards something else. It's just. Mm-hmm what these standards have taught you to or what i think these weird rules have told you what you have to be and what it means to be strange like a specific ethnicity right um and i think finding a way to break out of that and also honing in your identity is definitely important yeah and like i struggle to find even just i'm pakistani american and i'm muslim and those are two groups of people that I just and even overlap like those those were the kinds of people that I really lacked in high school and even in college I found that there's not very much diversity in that realm either I'm the only Pakistani American Muslim journalist that I know of in my own class at school so it's just like so I'm such an outlier you know Mm -hmm. but that's I think that's what makes me special because even in high school my entire group of friends was like super preppy and like college oriented while I was more of haha I love design I love to write and so I was really different from anybody Mm -hmm. I knew and that's okay like diversity wise I'm fine with it but I just wish that there were more people that I knew like me in Mm -hmm. high school at least because then it would have been more of encouraging for me to go ahead and pursue it rather everybody look at you like she's psychotic what is she thinking she cannot make a career out of this and i even told my friends in high school i'm gonna end up at buzzfeed one day just watch it (laughs) none of them believed me and look at where i am now so you know what proved you wrong (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and i think part of the part of the issue could be that within high school and this is something that i would like i think i want to emphasize with my my cousins who are younger than me and they're going kind of going through that process and they're also in the california education system so which is that's like a little bit different but also on the same level if not maybe even more cutthroat um Mm -hmm. and it's it's strange that in high school we are taught to think within these limitations which is the careers that are, that are out there are either CS, engineering, law, um, medicine, right? But the weird thing is, it's like those are just categories; those are fields. Um, once you come to once you come to college, those fields branch out into so many different things. And for example, I'm pursuing UX research, and that was something I was like I knew what UX UI was. I didn't know that those two things are not synonymous. Um, there were a lot of things I didn't know, and I think part of the issue is that in high school, the, there's too much of an emphasis on think within these categories, and then once you get there, once you get to college, you can figure out. But the problem is that a, a lot of friends that I know, once they do get to college, then they face the problem of like, oh, well, well shit, what am I doing here? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. And like, even with journalism, you know, I was placed into, we had endorsements in high school. I think it's very dumb and it doesn't actually work because what if you do an endorsement all your life, like in high school, and then you get to college and you're like, wait a second, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Let me switch my major. It's just like switching your major in college. We all go through it. We all double think it. Like, should I really be in this major or should I be in something else? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Even with journalism, like journalism has so many specifications. And just like you were saying, like you do, what what was it called again? Y- UX research. UX re- I have never heard of that before. So I, I'm intrigued. That's yeah. so cool. Um, I never knew I wanted to actually do PR until I knew that that was an option in journalism. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know PR and journalism were related until I got to college, you know? And yeah. in high school, Nobody ever acknowledged journalism as a career. So I was already confused, you know? So it's just like in high school, they tried to put us in categories to, mm-hmm. you know, throw something at the wall and hope it sticks, you know? That's what they do with us. But in college, it's so different because you're on your own. Like nobody's nobody's there for you. So it's all on you. Mm-hmm. If you make a decision now, it's going to impact you for the rest of your life. Yeah. And should my, like, I was 18 when I entered college. Should my 18-year-old self be in control of what my 45-year-old self is doing? You know, so that's another pressure that we face after high school is that am I making the right decision for Mm -hmm. myself? Right. Um, Yeah. And and I think it's, it's strange that I guess this like line of thinking is still something that's pushed in education because I was having a uh, discussion with one of my teachers, one of my favorite teachers um, in high school. And the the conversation we had was, uh, I remember talking to them and I stated that it feels like there's sometimes like the teachers are in conflict with the students and students are trying to prove something to the teachers and the teachers trying to prove something to the students um, and talking about the workload and the, the, the teacher backed, she fired back with, well, if you are taking seven APs, well, what, what does that say about you? And then my, my guess, of course, my counter was, well, the job isn't for you to make it hard to make, to prove a point, right? The job for, for you as a teacher is to facilitate an education that everybody can be proud of and be, and, and not just, I think, make it difficult. So I think this isn't just applicable to the high school we went to. I think this is something that I've seen is a problem in multiple high schools. And overall, in terms of the educational system, I do believe there needs to be a massive restructure on the way certain subjects are approached and the way students approach their education. Because I can tell you that I bet both of us are excited to be pursuing the education that we have in college. We're excited about it, right? We, we want to be learning about it. But in high school, it was just a way to make it by. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's that's definitely an issue. Yeah, and some of the core subjects I don't even use now. So another funny story, my senior year, at the end of the school year, we're like a month out from graduation, I find out that I'm failing pre-cal and I had so much trouble in that class. I cannot even begin to tell you. I had no friends in that class except for one and his name was Santi. And we barely ever talked to each other through high school. We just knew we we had existed and Mm -hmm. that was about it and so my teacher suggested i start taking remedial math classes after school because i'm just about to fail this class and i need to graduate so i went ahead and i took the slip and i signed it and i was like okay i'll take the remedial math class whatever 
and I see Santi there too. And I was like, oh my gosh, cool. Am I, if I'm putting him on blast right now, I'll just say friend. So I saw my friend in this real math class. <laughs> we, we, don't, we, we don't have their last name. It's okay. We're, we're not yeah. doxing anyone. So this yeah. friend and I, we went to this math class and we just look at each other like, wait, you're here too? And so we just, we just felt relieved in the moment. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my gosh, there's somebody like us out there that's right. also taking this class. And so just, I just want people to know that they shouldn't feel bad, you know, if something just doesn't work out or if they're not good at it, just go with the flow, man. Like mm -hmm. I, I had to take extra math classes to pass by one point in pre-cal to graduate. Can wow. you believe Yeah, it was that bad? Mm -hmm. And so I still joke about it today that I, I passed my senior year by one point and it was in math class. And so I don't even use that class in anything that I do now. Right. And it made such an impact on me in high school because mm -hmm. I was stressing about it for like two good months. The fact that I had to pass this class in order to graduate because apparently passing pre-cal is so important. And yeah. And, and I do, I, I do think that this, at least the science behind mathematics, like the way it, it structures your thought and looks makes you look at all options from every single area to get a definite solution. I think that is important, but again, it comes down to like how you teach it and how much you emphasize mm -hmm. it. And in this case, it felt like make it or break it. This is the structure. Yeah. If you can't make it within the structure, you're out um, in terms of education. Exactly. Yeah. And like, I'm not trying to like trash math or anything, but math is just, not my thing it never has been and in mm -hmm. high school i never really had any anybody to you know go to for help i guess especially during my senior year because we're already senioritis really took a big toll on me so i think towards the end of the year a i was like was yeah, done. yeah. Mm -hmm. and so everyone was like busy with their own thing and i was like i don't feel like i need extra help so i'm gonna try to power through it myself and I've also realized over time, I can't do everything by myself. I need to take it one step at a time yep. as well. So mm -hmm. I think that's what that class taught me. Not meh, but it taught me that I can't do everything that, you know, I set out to do sometimes. And that's okay. You can yeah. take your time. Mm -hmm. But if there's a pressure there, yeah, get it together, man. <laughs> Pack it up. Let's go. <laughs> um, you have this method of connecting with people through novel platforms through digital media and part of my education in in user experience research as in that's basically doing the research to then design a product or a service around the needs of a person so part of the background i have is a lot of it is how to conduct quick research and then how to make sure that you're still getting incredible sources and you're still saying the right things and that also kind of plays into a section of this podcast that i have with some of my friends where we kind of break down the news on um, certain things that aren't as well covered in mainstream media so with you what is your process of breaking down these complex issues into something that is digestible for everyone because you're able to do that with buzzfeed you're able to do that with muslim and you break it down into 15 or uh, 20 seconds yeah so as you'll notice gen z has a very like quick attention span mm -hmm. like you have to grab it quick and they're gonna leave quick and that's how my mind works too i cannot pay attention for too long right so in high school my senior year i took ap gov with miss pickens 
What a wonderful teacher. I love I, her. I've heard. I, I took it during the summer. I mean, I had her during the summer, but I heard like the one-on-one -on -one interactions great also. Yeah, she was so great. And one of the assignments she had for us starting at the start of the semester, because it was semester class, she said, I want you guys to pick out a current issue or event and go in front of the class and talk about it. And you only have a minute and mm -hmm. you have to be able to explain this, this and this. But I'm only going to allow you to use one website, and that is allsides.com. That tool carried me through my entire career and will carry me throughout the wow. entirety of my career because this website, what it does is every journalism outlet, every news outlet, every media conglomerate has a bias, okay? The bias is real. I have biases. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I don't. We all do because they're formed by the people that we're around, the things that we consume and the products that we support, yeah. you know, and that's just a psychology. Mm -hmm. But basically, allsides.com, what it does is it takes a major news headline and it breaks it down into a right minded style, a left minded style and a more neutral style type of writing. Wow. So it just like puts it into a political scale for you. And political bias is probably the biggest issue we all face as journalists because mm -hmm. we can't voice it. So we have to show it through our writing and very sneakily. So this website does a really good job of picking up on it. So what I do is I look at these headlines. So I'm tasked with a headline, okay? Mm -hmm. So make a TikTok video regarding the Yemen crisis. Okay, cool. Nobody really talks about it. So mm -hmm. I need to do my own research. First, I go to allsides.com. I pick out anything that I can find. So Al Jazeera was the main one. I pick out the main points out of the Al Jazeera posting. And then I sit down and I have a whiteboard right here. So like my setup is I have a little ring light, a stand for my phone, and then a whiteboard. So on the whiteboard, I write the main points and then I freestyle the rest, how I believe that I understand it. Mm -hmm. And all I do is just say it into the camera and then put it all together. And then once I finish it, I send it to my editor. And if there are any facts or sources that I've missed, I always make sure to add those in. And it's a process making these TikToks digestible because right. some of these topics are very hard, mm -hmm. like Israel and Palestine and also the Yemen crisis and also Uyghur Muslims. A lot of my hard news reporting goes through Muslim and they're very big topics. And so it's just some of my videos are 15 seconds while some of them are 60 seconds. It just depends on what the topic is and how many points I have to get across. But the main issue here is, is not anyone can do it because you can task somebody, but they just won't do it the job that another person can. Mm. Just the way that they say it, you have to be really firm in these videos. You can't yeah. just say it say it you know because you want people to take you seriously and tiktok is a platform that's seen as huh, it's just for fun like mm -hmm. haha you know like this dude did this and this dude did this and this audio is trending no that's not news style reporting you have to do it like you're taking it fully seriously yeah. so that's that's a skill that i acquired through tiktok which is crazy you'd never think that you'd find information like that on tiktok but when you are watching it you're like so invested like what is she saying like What's the headline? And you know, sometimes the text bubbles help too, because if you put facts in there, if you put certain imagery in there, it, it proves your point further that this is something that needs to be talked about. 
and the TikTok algorithm is also very skewed. So you're going to have a target audience always. Mm-hmm. Whatever your hashtags are and whatever your algorithm looks like, it's by chance that I show up on your For You page. So right. that's another thing that I need to understand. And so over time, I've learned how to adjust my content to cover all sides or try to at least of TikTok. Mm-hmm. And then if there's a niche within the video, so let's say the MN crisis, then I use those specific hashtags. Just putting to putting together the whole video is a process, but easily digestible content comes from having a firmness in your voice, but also just getting, you don't want to have any more than five points across in one video because then it becomes too overwhelming. Right. So just, you have to find a balance. And mm-hmm. again, I, I still don't know the perfect way to make a TikTok. I still have to get them edited by editors. And they t- they, they kind of tell me like, hey, you can change this and this. But over time, I've gotten better. And I have to make less and less changes. But it it also varies between newsrooms. So Muslim has a style and BuzzFeed has a style. And I've had to adapt to both. So just know that none of them are the same. And they all possess their own ideologies. So you just have to line yourself up with them. Right. But do you feel that's sometimes you might lose your voice in that or is that still very present? My voice is still pretty present. I feel like it's developed my voice, but also it's taught me how to be more trying to find the word not flexible, but adaptable. There we go. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's taught me how to become more adaptable because again, change, not something that I've been really able to you know, digest in the past, journalism is a fully fast paced world and you just have to go with it, you know? So if something changes right on the spot, you need to change your video if you haven't published it. Or if you've already published your video, you have to change it again, you know? Mm -hmm. So you just need to be open to changes and you have to just know exactly what to do in the moment. It's all out of impulse that you make these things. And sometimes I have a deadline of 20 minutes to make a video and I just have to do it, you know? So I mean, of course, people find, you know, small flaws within my videos, or if there's a fact that's off, you know, I'll get a comment under the video, like, this isn't right, you're fake news. That's something that, you know, I can't get away from. And if I do make a mistake, then I acknowledge it. But I'm not a perfect journalist. And no journalist is perfect. Mm -hmm. So I just need people to understand that I'm perfectly imperfect, that I can't make it perfect for you. But whatever I could make in the time that I had and whatever information I have is what I'm putting out there, so. Right, right. And I think you, you talked about issues that are important that aren't as discussed. And there is, I think, an issue with having a 24-hour news cycle that we do have, um, at least part of the American culture. And the hope is there that if it's 24 hours, you're covering a variety of topics right but in this case um when it comes to cnn and various other 24-hour news cycles they focus on one particular story and a lot of the times their excuses like oh well we're 24 hours so we gotta like we gotta uh pick and choose but i think the problem is that when you begin talking about the same thing over and over again every hour then that's an issue and that's i think overshadowing other problems that are going on in the world. The world doesn't just take issues one step at a time. It's like all at once. And I think that's something you're definitely able to do with um, 
outlets such as BuzzFeed and Muslim. Uh, but what are some topics that you believe aren't as covered as much as they should be in the mainstream media? And how can we at least begin addressing some of these complex issues? So out of the Muslim world, for sure, there are a lot of underlying issues even I wasn't aware of before starting with them. And when I was asked to make videos for their page, I was shocked that, you know, they thought I should be the face of this. And usually when you find that an issue is um, underreported, when one person goes ahead and makes a video and it gets boosted onto a big platform, they become the face of it. So anything and everything about this one topic, everyone's going to come to you. And so over time, I met some journalists and, you know, they do reporting over Instagram. So they've kind of like become the face of certain movements. But some of the issues that I feel have been overlooked that I wish were more present and for longer, for one, for sure, is the Yemen crisis. There's still famine going on there. They're still in a war, you know, and war between them, like just everything, everything's working against them right now. And, you know, it was only talked about for a month before people forgot about it. Mm -hmm. That's another thing. And you don't, you know, report on it often enough, people just forget. Right. I don't forget these things. I still talk about them in my everyday life because I feel that they're important. But the Yemen crisis, that's something that, you know, was overlooked after a certain point. And I believe that it should be talked about more. Uh, the explosion in Lebanon that happened, a lot of people forgot about it already, yeah. but it didn't even happen that long ago. And, you know, Israeli-Palestinian tensions, there's a lot going on with that too. People just put it in the back of their head because they, you know, don't really have to worry about it. Uyghur Muslims, that's another big issue. Their Chinese are holding Muslims in internment yeah. camps. And, you know, I think out of the Muslim world, especially like it's it it overlaps between like religion and world news. So, of course, Muslims don't have the best rap around the world either. Like Islamophobia is very real. So, of course, they're not going to be talked about because people are scared. And I mean, I don't I still don't know how to combat the issue of getting these stories out there more because people are just scared to talk about it. I don't know why they are. It's just I don't possess this fear, though, because mm -hmm. I feel whatever needs to be reported, I get tasked with and I get all the hits for it. And I don't really care because I'm just that way. I have a very thick skin, but not very many people do, which is why they don't speak out against it. So right. that's an issue that we're facing a lot of. And I don't really have a perfect solution to getting it more reported. I. A lot of the things that people do sometimes when they think that I should be talking about a certain subject through Muslim is they will spam my Instagram account with comments and DMs. Like and DM? I, oh, wow. Yeah. So like I have over 70 unread DMs from the past week about Gia, Gia, but Shia, Shia genocide in Pakistan. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's a topic I have not been able to sit down and research on. And like you said, 24 hour news cycle, everybody expects you to know exactly what's happening, exactly when, where and how. I'm not like that. I need to take news one step at a time. If I don't understand or grasp it right in the moment, then I'm, I'm probably gonna pass on a project to work on because I want to make sure that I'm only putting out 
real news into the world. Yeah. I want facts to line up. That's why I use all sides to make sure it all lines up. Mm-hmm. I haven't found everything that lines up just yet. So I'm not going to report on it until I know exactly what I, I'm saying, you know? Yeah. So that's another thing. All news sources are going to rush to get it out there. Yeah. There's a, there's a pressure. Mm-hmm. And I don't like to pressure myself. Even when my editor at Muslim is like, hey, we need this out in like an hour or two. I'm like, that's not possible because I don't have all the details and information. And if we were to report something falsely, then that's on us. Yeah. I want to make sure that whatever I have is what I'm saying out. And I'm confident that this is what is best and most factual. So I think for one, there's a fear of misinformation. Two, there's just a fear overall of speaking out about the issues. And three, I mean, news is skewed. News is owned by each other, basically. There's no getting out. Like KHOU and the local Phoenix station where I go to school at, they're owned by the same company. I didn't even know that. And so they run the same broadcast packages Mm -hmm. and whatever is like local, of course, you know, it's local. Is it CBS? I'm not sure. I'm not really big in the broadcast side of news, so I'm not entirely sure. I just found out this recently and I looked at it and I was like, they look exactly the same, like the formatting of Mm -hmm. the broadcast. I was like, so all the national stories that run through both of them are the same ones. And they're going to be skewed by the same person that owns these companies, mm-hmm. right? So people with money control the news. It's true. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, And, and, and whatever they want out there mm-hmm. is what goes. Yeah. So there's, real no, there's really no solution to the issue. That's something I'm still trying to figure out. If right. you have an answer, let me know, because I don't know. <laughs> right. And... <laughs> I think the the phrase that has been coined the past couple of years, and I think it's been mainstreamed by the president, is fake news. Uh, mm-hmm. And at this moment, how do you feel about the state of American journalism, how it has transformed the past couple of years, and where it could go moving forward? Very politically divided. That is, that is all I can say mm-hmm. about it. Because you'll see, again... Fox is a very conservative station and, you know, local stations, they follow suit and they're like, yeah, we're not, we're, we're not biased. And then some end up being super right or left. And so there's, there's a lot of political bias out there. I follow, I follow mainly liberal oriented publications. And so I believe that in the United States, everything has become a political statement, even masks. Yeah. 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 And so if masks have become a political statement, of course, journalism has. And the president has a very much dislike towards journalism in general, because Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is about him. He just doesn't like it. I I don't think it's a dislike towards journalism. Specifically, I think it's a dislike towards anyone who says anything negative about him because there right. was a um, Fox News segment, one or two, where they've said something negative about him, and now all of a sudden everybody's like, "Oh well, we've we've known that Fox has been becoming liberal for a while," which, by the way, is not true at all. So I think it's just a, a disdain for like anyone that is uh, hurting his ego because I yeah. think he is 
I think when we can get into that, it's a completely different conversation. But he's yeah. very, yeah, he is very much a narcissist. And I think mm-hmm. based on that, it's more so of like, oh, well, you don't like me. Well, now you're officially fake, which is a very yeah. high school way of approaching it, too. For sure. And honestly, I wonder if he thinks that we're all after him, like journal, like journalists in general, if reporters are all after does. him. I like, think he does. Muckraking journal, mm-hmm. like muckraking has been a big part of how investigative journalism has come about in right. the past. So none of us are really out to get his head per se, but of course, like if he does something, it's going to end up on national news. He just needs to realize that, you know, we, and okay. Also, I feel like the government withholds withhold information for sure so yeah. there's certain things that we do not have control over and we don't even know so how are we supposed to report on it if we don't know all the details and we see these loopholes or really not really loopholes they're more of just holes we see these holes with national or not national worldwide stories too so for example Uyghur Muslims that's a big topic of conversation mm-hmm. that you know a lot of Muslim reporters are trying to figure out how do I report on it? Well, there's no right answer because we don't know what the Chinese government is withholding from us. We don't know numbers. We don't know brands that are actually directly supporting them. Like you can say anything and people will believe it. Yeah. Which is horrifying. Mm -hmm. What if you say a wrong statistic, everyone believes it and it ends up being untrue. Then it's not only hurt you, it's hurt the brands that were associated under that you know, the news company that you reported under. So there's so many risks associated with, and I know that earlier I said no risk, no reward, but in this situation, it's very dangerous to voice something that's untrue and not knowing the facts for. So, I mean, in American politics, everything is just after the 2016 election, everything just kind of flipped upside down, especially in the newsrooms because Mm -hmm. And they don't know how to we we walk a fine line trying to report for buzzfeed news as teenagers because we don't know what we're saying we're still teenagers you right, know right. so i know 20 years down the road i don't know if i'll ever you know regret making videos the way that i do like about trump and mm-hmm. kimberly guilfoyle like i made a spoof of her just as medieval tiktok and i was like screaming like she does Mm-hmm. I don't know if 20 years down the road I'll be embarrassed or if, you know, I'll look back at it and be like, that was American politics at the time, so that was okay. But the political right. sphere takes such a big toll uh-huh. on the way that we report. So I couldn't really tell you, man. <laughs> and But do you think that there is, I mean, there's obvious tension between the press and, of course, the White House. But mm-hmm. do you think it has become a point where, like, we had discussed earlier it feels like teachers and students are all on are sometimes in conflict um do you think that at this point the the media the news media has seen this as an insult as a personal insult and their counter is to be a, more probing than usual or do you think they're going about it the right way Because it does feel like they do, like, like for example, whenever he, in, I think 2018 or 17, whenever he just tweeted Kofefe, right? And mm-hmm. we all knew what that was. It was basically um, diverting attention away from what was happening at that current moment. But right. the news media jumped on it. Anderson Cooper jumped on it, right? And it's sometimes frustrating whenever 
common folk like us see like well we know what, what's what's happening there right do you think mm-hmm. that sometimes they that maybe trump is cognizant that he does control the media and he plays them and the media sometimes falls to it oh 100 percent. okay so i of course i'm studying journalism as communications right but i'm also studying public relations mm-hmm. so the biggest thing about public relations is you gotta know how to pull a good stunt okay and trump probably has the best i think media relations team whatever his pr team does works okay the american public more than half of the american public believes him Mm -hmm. or you know goes along with whatever they put out and that's like i can't blame them because again he has a great pr team good press team you know and they really cover for him so I mean, it's funny because PR specialists and journalists, they're like, they're the same, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but they're different. So it's like journalism working against journalism almost. (laughs) I don't know how to explain it. But I mean, when I'm at school and I'm learning about like PR stunts and between reporting on them and actually doing the stunt mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy because like my worlds collide i'm like oh my gosh so like if i were the pr specialist and i were to like put out a stunt and i reported on the same stunt then what work has been done here mm-hmm. like it's counteracting each other so of course yeah they mm-hmm. do that on purpose so then it diverts the attention away from the president and we fall into the i fall into the trap sometimes like i'm hella confused like all the time what is going on with American politics? I never know yeah. because it's just, it's mm-hmm. so chaotic. That's the one word I can describe it as chaotic. Right. But yeah, it's it's like journalism meets journalism. And mm-hmm. he has a really good press team. Mm-hmm. So that's my takeaway from the yeah. last four years. And and, and but, but do you think that sometimes the, me- the news media has a an issue with uh, focusing on what is important to the American public and what maybe just... Um, uh, what I think John Stewart sometimes described as kombuki theater. Like it's like it's drama. It's and, and do you think that the news media is aware that this is just drama and they still just jump on it because that that sells? I don't really know. Honestly, sometimes I watch the news and I'm like, why are you reporting mm. on this? What does this have to do with my life? And I agree. Sometimes they can come off very aggressive or very just, you know, off topic. Like I was watching, I know the Weather Channel isn't news, but the Weather Channel, what they've done is that they've, instead of reporting the weather, (laughs) they play shows all day that have nothing to do with today's weather. Really? So it's just so confusing to me how, I don't know why they're doing that. Yeah. I don't have a good answer to that either. Numbers. And I think it's numbers. Honestly, yeah, yeah numbers. Just like viewership. Mm. I think they just want... So like TMZ and entertainment news and all of them, they take one thing and they exploit it like so much. Well, would just... you characterize that as news though? Mm, that's entertainment news. Okay. It's news okay. in its own way. It's not like conventional. So news can take different levels too. Like entertainment news is a category. Right, right, right. But there's also tabloid. Tabloid, tabloid right. I do not consider mm-hmm. news. So TMZ is tabloid. Yeah, 100%. So that's agree. actually a bad example. So let's say entertainment news. So Entertainment Weekly would be entertainment news, but TMZ mm-hmm. would be tabloid. And sometimes tabloids break out a story before a national news outlet though. 
So isn't that crazy? Yeah. And sometimes national news outlets will only focus on that one thing for a long time. I don't know what it is about celebrity news, but you know how Cardi B just divorced Offset? Mm -hmm. That's been a big thing in the news. And I'm like, girl, there are people dying out there. Why are you talking about But the thing is that there are people who care about that. And I think they know that there are people who care about that. And, right, and but like, like you're saying, they'll spend so much time on mm-hmm. this one thing that they, they don't talk about the other things. Yeah. So that is an issue. I don't think I've, I mean, again, I don't really consume news via broadcast, but um, maybe in the broadcasting world, that's an issue. But my main focus is mainly on print and digital. So everything is super fast paced. Like right. whenever it breaks out, I always mm-hmm. see it on my Twitter feed. Right. So I guess my news consumption is very different and I don't think I'd really be a good like I view on exactly why that happens but that's definitely a question I'm gonna keep in mind for the future when I'm consuming news so thought provoking (laughs) and I I, I think that like the entire uh, system or news system is very it could be complex but it's also obvious what's going on and Mm -hmm. to break it down is is it's it's easy but also difficult because like you're aware of what's going on the the bullshit that's happening and then all of a sudden there's really like a, a way you can go about it and it's also i think problematic whenever you have people within fox news and um cnn thinking that they're in the same game as someone like john oliver or john stewart when their first yeah. profession is comedy it's 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 right See, I was about to say, like, do you consider that news? Do you personally consider that news? I like think, John Alp? I think it's, I, I think it's comedy and satire first and foremost. But at the same time, he has a good way of breaking down and kind of maneuvering through the bullshit. That's I think John Oliver is the news that we need. But the fact that like I have to say that shows how lacking the like real news media is at their job and that's how frustrating it is and that's why like um lately at the beginning of these podcasts before we get to the guest my friend and i try breaking down the news something that isn't as covered because it's frustrating whenever it's very obvious what's happening and sometimes anchors can be super pompous about it too like it's mm-hmm. like they're they're very self-righteous and condescending to a point where they think they're doing the country's work when in reality they're just in their bubble and they don't don't know how to break out of it because they're very stubborn yeah and that's a thing i face too like occasionally i'll get dms that ask why see i i like to show my personality through my work i am a very loud person i like to show it so i i have this this thing of with my facial expressions and videos where I like to make certain facial expressions and people have been DMing me like, this is so insensitive. Why are you doing that? And I'm like, but do you pay attention to the video? And they're like, mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so my facial expressions are obviously working because you're paying attention. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. Like Americans don't pay attention. If yeah. You don't speak at it a certain way. So projecting it, makes a big difference on how your viewers are going to consume it, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I mean I, I I 100% agree and I think that the the news that we get is very much or a lot of the news that is considered mainstream news, CNN, MSNBC, it's very propagandic. There is an agenda. Um and I'm not going to sit here and be like 
the entirety of the time they're just on they're just spitting out bs right but it feels like there is more opinion than there is objective truth and when that is happening then that is an issue because there are people who are consuming it there are people who are t- who are taking it as fact in the new normal and then not able to sometimes develop their own thought on an issue so right and again like i said it's very complex very difficult just to break it down yeah well i have a question for you though so do you like the more i'm consuming news part of the news or do you like the more i'm commentating on the news part of the news uh well <laughs> like you you specifically like do you mm-hmm. like to consume it more or do you like to you know I guess have deep discussion talk time about it because i know when i consume news i love talking to my friends mm-hmm. and deep discussion about things so that kind of sounds like what you do right I, and so yeah which part do you like more consuming it or talking about it i i like the conversation right i, I think I, I, I more geared towards that second part because the first part is just you consuming it and like who else like it's just in your head now you know it right i i, I think the best way to um, go about just enabling communities and moving forward um, to a better state is just, I think, sh- talking to people. And if you just have all this news that you have in your head and it's not for anyone, then um, like, not for, not not that way, but if it's more lo- like it's just here, can't share it, I just, now I know this, right? I think you're doing, it, it could be a little bit of a disservice in not carrying a conversation forward. So, and I think there is there is a difference between flexing your knowledge and actually empathizing with someone and having a conversation. Because a lot of the time, and the issue we see today in American politics is that any any conversation can turn very much into an argument. And people need to differentiate between a conversation and an argument because we don't listen to each other. And, we, and, we, and we, we've been saying this for years now since the Trump election. I don't think it was just... It, I don't think it just started there. I think it's been present for a long time. And because we don't listen to each other um, and we're just focused on flexing our knowledge and what we read in the news, it it's very just, it's it makes things just stay still, stand still. Nothing moves forward. So I think the part that I'm uh, interested in is the conversational part of it because I want to know what my friends think about it, right? Like, I'm not going to go into... Um, something saying like I'm correct about this uh, I'll give them my belief but I'm open to change and that conversation the conversation that you and I have I'm not going into this just saying that I'm right right in this in, in any situation even though there might be things that you and I agree about and disagree about I think it's important to have a conversation where people can listen to each other and be like you know what good that's a good point I think there and I don't think there's enough of us just saying oh you know what I don't know enough about that. I'm going to go back, do the research on it, and then talk about mm-hmm. it some more. So I know that was a very long answer to your question. No, that was perfect. I, I agree with you, yeah. But I, I would say the conversation part is the part I enjoy, but the reason I like it is because that's the thing that's going to, I think, change communities and ultimately change the way this country functions. Yeah, for sure. And like even in newsrooms, you'll notice that Although they are spewing out news all the time, 
there is conversation. Like mm. I'm part of all these Slack channels and all we do in our free time, like in between stories is talk about the news. So journalists talk about the news outside of reporting on it, which I love. And so when people tell me they like to converse about the news, it makes me so happy that, you know, people actually want to talk about it and make that change, you know, because yeah. you are the catalyst for somebody's mindset to change. Mm -hmm. You hold that power. You just don't know it until you do it. So I really do appreciate your podcast. I, I have been listening to a couple of the episodes and I really love it. So I really do appreciate that you do that. News breakdown, news breakdown time. <laughs> it's so helpful. Um, so, wow, this has flown by. Okay. <laughs> Is Parting question, is there a specific field within journalism that you see yourself honing in on or are you keeping it broad right now so you can test the waters and see what you like? So before college, I wanted to stick with print, but then as soon as I came into college, I set my track on PR and digital audiences. So digital audiences is basically the only program that um, in the United States that I've heard is offered at ASU. It's basically a program where you learn about digital audiences on the internet, how they interact with certain things. And so I kind of want to pursue a field of journalism in the digital industry. I was actually just talking to the one of the editors at BuzzFeed, one of the main ones, mm -hmm. and he was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, well, I consider myself. So right now I'm not a student journalist. I am a journalist. Right. That's what I've like come to realize that my career has started. Yeah. So consider myself, my official but unofficial title is digital content creator. Mm -hmm. And so right now, once my ambassadorship ends at the end of October, then I'll have to start looking into new jobs, of course, or internships, you know? And so my three dream careers, and hopefully this happens at some point, is one, go back to BuzzFeed, but as BuzzFeed LA headquarters in California mm -hmm. and work for one of their social teams and or two genius lyrics. I love music journalism. So that's more of entertainment style and um, maybe work for their socials team there and or actually work for a platform. So Instagram, Twitter, watch out. I might be there. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, there's so many opportunities everywhere, mm -hmm. but I'm just starting to make those connections now. So those are my dream careers. If they happen, amazing. If not, I always have backups. I'd love to work at an airport to do their social media or, you know, just do like PR stuff. I don't know. Working at an airport sounds super fun because I love to travel. Right. And I just want to do something that, you know, benefits my community, but also gives me the creative freedom. And also when I have kids, like it's a super flexible field because I can be a stay-at-home mom and also be working via my laptop. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's just something that I can see myself doing for a very long time. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm very excited to see what you do next. Um, and I know that you had done that interview for BuzzFeed, right? The interview that I did before this podcast, it will be featured in one of my BuzzFeed videos upcoming. Not sure when this podcast is coming out, but my video should be going out soon on Instagram and TikTok at BuzzFeed News. Ooh. So... Looking yes. forward to it. All right. Well, thanks for joining me, Marina. Thank you so much, Neil.